Welcome into Locked On Knicks. I'm Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw. And today we were joined by all of you in the locker room app for our weekly chat. And go figure, Gavin, there was a lot to talk about after the Knicks got eliminated from the playoffs. I think we set a new record for longest locker room with this one. What kind of stuff do we get into in this first part of a three-part locker room episode? Yeah, it was an epic run by us and everyone who tuned in. We really appreciate it, guys. We started off talking to our guy Omar about whether the Knicks need to acquire a stretch five this offseason. Could it be uh, Obi Toppin developing into that? Or will they have to go outside the team and get someone like Miles Turner or Serge Ibaka? Then we get into any lingering regrets over last season's draft. And finally... We talk it all out, should the Knicks go after Kyle Lowry this summer. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. I'm Alex Wolf, he's Gavin Shaw, and this is Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, play-by-play, man-by-day, Nick's podcaster by night. And this, of course, is our weekly locker room chat with all of you on the Locker Room app, now available on iOS and Android, if if you've been waiting on the Android version. So I'm not going to hold us up any longer. Let's get right into our discussion from Locker Room this week. All right. See, we already got speaker requests. Gavin, you have any, I don't think we have anything to talk about. We literally just recorded a pod this morning. So we yeah, yeah. Let, let's start getting people up. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right. We got our boy Omar up here first. Uh, I guess I'll introduce us. Uh, <laughs> what's up? This is Locked on Knicks. Uh, I'm Alex Wolfie's Gavin Shaw. This is our locker room. And uh, yeah, let's talk about the next season being over. Everybody wants to talk. It looks like we got a lot of people if you want to come up. So let's get Omar Youssef up here first. Omar, what's up, man? Uh, not much, guys. Uh, how you guys doing? Uh, I'm all right. <laughs> you know, just uh, chilling, I guess. I don't know. I, I feel pretty at peace with the season being over, if we're being completely honest. But uh, how are you feeling? Me too. Um, you know, it hurt in the moment. I really felt it more game after game four than than yesterday, actually. Yeah, for sure. Um, After game four, it felt pretty over. 3-1 is like, that's like the hole that you don't really climb out of mm-hmm. generally. So Yeah. Um, but, you know, with that being said, we got to keep perspective here. Uh, let's like, just want to keep it positive. Um, you know, if you date back six months ago before the season started, like our checklist of hopes and goals for this upcoming season, we definitely hit every single one of those boxes and probably a few additional ones that we didn't even like hope for um you know the season has been great uh really have something to build off of here 
these guys are going to be even hungrier after this playoff experience. Um, you know, Alfred Payton's now off the team. Tommy Hopefully. Oh, Tom, don't speak too soon. <laughs> Tommy D's allegedly off Twitter now. Um, <laughs> Another great development. <laughs> I think the future's bright. Um, and really, I just like want to go like moving forward what we can learn, what we can take from this series, um, you know, obviously getting a dynamic lead guard um, who can create for others. We need it. We generate the least number of easy baskets I've ever seen from like an actual competitive team. Our transition offense is hideous. <laughs> um, and we generate nothing easy in the half court that has to improve through personnel and schematically. But I also think, you know, as we build this team with Randall and RJ, one thing that we really saw was how, like, Capello was playing free safety and just kind of parked under the rim because when we have Taj Noel just camping in the lane, it negates the defensive three seconds because, you know, all you have to be is an arm's length away from the offensive player, and you could just sit in the paint all night long if you want. I think really getting a stretch big is important. A lot of times you'd see Randall and RJ, they might get a step on their man, and then there's that second line of defense and Capello waiting for them. And I think spacing the floor for them, making it a true five-and-out offense can really unlock them. We have discussed that before like in regards to RJ and how to unlock him to be a potential 24, 25-point-per-game scorer. And I really think in the playoffs, it's big. You can't have – you have to have the floor space – um, you know, other teams, they're seeing you for two straight weeks in game planning against you. Having, you know, the paint for them available to just kind of camp in and zone in um, makes it that your life that much more difficult to uh, to play offense. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, um, I mean, this is this is something we got into a lot on the podcast this morning. I mean, yeah, I mean, you guys you guys heard me the last couple of weeks. I, I've been bemoaning the fact that they wouldn't try Obi Randall looks or, or Randall with with just four shooters around him. Um, I think it's essential. I, I think we also got to be somewhat reasonable in terms of what level of adjustments Tibbs is is willing to make. And and if you want to be generous, you can say like. He didn't go small because it's just something the Knicks didn't do all regular season. If they had experimented it more with it more in the regular season, um, when OB wasn't quite ready, it could have led to them losing some games. Um, so that's that's the most generous interpretation of it. My interpretation of it is like he, he's already stretched himself in a number of ways. But I mean, as we saw with the Alfred Payton uh, catastrophe, for lack of a better term, there there are specific areas he's like extremely extremely like non negotiable for him. And I think playing without, like, apex rim protection is probably one of them. Um, I will say, and, and this is, again, something we talked about all this morning on the podcast, I think having Mitchell Robinson in there would have mitigated a lot of this, if not everything. Um, just having that lob threat would have stopped Capella from just shading over to Randall every single time. And then, obviously, defensively, he makes an immense difference. But to your point, Omar, e- even, even with Mitch in there, you still have that issue with RJ or Randall when they get all the way to the rim. There's no way for that to be completely unclogged, especially because they don't have a lob passer in the same stratosphere as Trey Young. And that, that's sort of what makes Trey so dangerous is that he's so good at that specific skill. Even in really tight areas, he really makes those two-on-ones 
torture for defenses because they can't really hard commit either to him or the center because you're going to get burned either way. With Randall, I, I don't really think he, he quite has that in his arsenal. Um, and, and to your point, it, it's why you, you would love a stretch five. I think our best chance of seeing that on the roster next year is Obi, And I think Obi could do that. I mean, one, he has to become a more consistent three-point shooter, which we started seeing towards the end of the season. And then two, he has to be able to hold his own defensively. And I think with the full offseason to really strengthen his lower body, and that, that was the big question with him coming out of the draft, was that he, he just, like, his um, like uh, center of gravity was so high. So going up against other fives, that would be a big issue. I really think you can mitigate that somewhat by if, if you're playing a traditional post-up big, you can use Randall in that spot and sort of say, all right, if you, if you want to go with your Jonas Valanciunas of the world and, and try and bully Julius Randall and you're going to run your offense punishing that alleged mismatch, be our guest, and then use OB as sort of the nominal quote-unquote stretch five on the other end and have him run pick and roll and, and, and have him dive but also have him space. I, I really think that would be the highest ceiling um, scenario of the Knicks offense and you do give up some rim protection on the other end. Um, and, and the reason you don't see a lot of stretch fives in the NBA is because it's almost impossible to find guys who protect the rim and shoot the three at, at a high level. Like, I mean, I, I don't even off the top of my head, I can't really think I can't really list like a definitive one. It's Embiid has sort of gotten to that point with his shooting, but outside of mega mega stars, those people just don't exist. And, and it's what makes, I mean, it's, it's sort of the inherent conundrum that every team faces at the center position because you have this deep desire to space the floor on offense and you have this deep desire to protect the rim on defense. How do you find that in one guy? I, I think Obi Toppin, if you want to talk about his long-term ceiling, it's something in that vicinity. There are other issues there that might stop that from happening. But to me, when, when we, we're having this conversation, he's the guy of the future in, in that capacity for the Knicks. And I'm not sure if the team will sign a straight shooting center that doesn't provide any rim protection and play him significant minutes anytime soon. But I, I could be wrong on that. And maybe there's someone in the draft that I'm missing who, who gives you a little bit of that. But, Alex, what, what are your thoughts? All right, guys, a brand-new segment brought to you by our partners at Michelob Ultra. It was a tough choice for me to pick this week's Ultra moment, but it has to be Game 2 of the Knicks-Hawks series. It, it was special, Alex, to see MSG rocking. Once again, a, a big-time comeback led by Reggie Bullock, and Julius Randle, you know, I, I just felt this, this innate sense of joy, this this childlike happiness. I, I can't imagine how much people in the building were enjoying themselves watching that. It's been so long since we got a Knicks home playoff victory, and it it just uh, it, it it made me happy. I, I don't know I don't know what else to say about it. But you can go check out tons of other exciting ultra moments with hashtag ultra moment. It's only worth it if you enjoy it at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. You have to remember, enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. Today on the Road to the Finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Yeah, I, I feel pretty similar. I mean, I do think, I think based off what we saw to end the season from Obi, I, I do think that it would behoove Tibbs to, you know, given that you know that both Obi and Randall are going to be on the roster again next year, and that I think Obi has proven himself to be more than like a 12-minute-per-game player towards the end of the season, I I think you, you kind of owe it to yourself to try out that small lineup a little bit next year. Um, he tried it earlier in this season, and, you know, those two guys just, uh, especially Obi, I mean, you know, Randall obviously was – 
pretty great from like minute one this season, but you know, Obi wasn't ready for it early on this season. He wasn't adjusted to the NBA defenses yet. He wasn't adjusted to what he has to do in the NBA to succeed. Um, you know, he, he kind of muscled guys around in college and was like the biggest guy in the whatever conference he was in the a 10 or whatever. Um, you know, and, but that's a totally different animal to the NBA where everybody's much bigger, stronger, whatever. And so Obi, I think had to kind of work on this like finesse game more so than a power game this year. Granted, we still never really got to see, I think the, the true extent of his powers as far as being like a rim runner and a guy who can use his athleticism like that in the pick and roll. But, um, and, and you know, that also kind of took away one of his other strengths from college, which was passing out of the short roll. Uh, but maybe that's something you can explore next year, you know, have him play a little more five, so to speak. And, and then, you know, to your point, you can, you can have, you know, Julius Randle out there still who can put a big body on a, you know, a, a big guy like a Capella of the world and hopefully deter him at least a little bit. Although, I mean, we saw some possessions during this past series where Randall got switched on to Capella or whatever, and it didn't seem too hard for him, but all you have to do is just disrupt him enough that then you can take advantage of the fact that you have, you know, five people on the floor that can all shoot. Hopefully as long as the, you know, the point guard through small forward can shoot, um, you know, five people on the floor that can kind of handle the ball and can pass well and all that stuff. And maybe that gives you that five out offense that you're looking for. Um, I, I still believe in Mitch and I still believe, I mean, if you listen to today's pod that we recorded, I, I went on sort of a long tangent about how I think Mitch could have really made a difference in this series because of his, his vertical gravity and the lob threatness around the rim. Like that would have kept Capella glued to him more than Capella was glued to either Taj Gibson or Nerland Stowell, which is to say not really at all. Um, which I think would have opened things up in its own way too, because then, you know, if you keep Mitch on the right side of the basket, then the left side kind of opens up to a degree. And if they, you know, if, if a guy like Capella cheats over towards that left side, if you have a talented enough ball handler, they can see Mitch still and throw up a lob for him. And we've seen with Mitch, you throw a lob anywhere within, you know, six feet of the hoop and he can, he can make it happen as far as an alley-oop. Um, but I would love to see them get, more of a, a traditional stretch big two, if they can in free agency. I mean, maybe that's your solution instead of having basically a less good Mitchell Robinson clone in Nerlens Noel behind him, which it, it's not to diminish anything that Nerlens did this year. Cause I, I thought that he really had some great moments. He was, you know, he had some games where he was an absolute dynamo on defense with, you know, racking up the steals and blocks and challenging people at the rim and all that stuff. But pretty much all year he got, pretty well beat up on the boards and, and beat up especially by centers that are bigger than him. Cause he's just, he's not, he's not big enough to bang with like the biggest, best centers in the NBA. These like agile monsters that are, you know, seven feet tall and weigh like 250 pounds or more and can still, you know, have like fantastic footwork and good shooting ability and everything else. The Embiid's, the, the Jokic's of the world, but even the, you know, the, Drummond's to a degree of the world sometimes gave him trouble the um you know the capellas obviously we just saw guys like that even you know gobert or something like that even those guys kind of give noel trouble just by being so much stronger than him so you know maybe you go and and you try to find i don't even know who the dude would be i would think you know if if you could find someone like him like a brooklyn i have a couple of names yeah throw them out there let's hear well we got the annual miles turner trade rumor 
He's actually the exact archetype that would probably work with Tibbs. I don't love him. I don't love his contract. Um, he makes about $18 million a year. But he is a guy yeah. you know, who shoots you know, 34% from three. He's a threat from three um, and would space the floor. Plus, he is a elite rim protector. The only other thing with him is I think that he's he's undeniably starting caliber. So that would essentially mean you swap him out for Mitch. Yes. And just say you're done with Mitch, I think so. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't hate it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Um, I would, I would potentially give him a look. I mean, I, I, I do think there's no denying he's very, very talented on defense. Um, I, I don't think in the same ways that Mitch is like the thing with Mitch is I think that he has that switchability that's pretty much unparalleled as a center. But yeah, I mean, offense is he is he though is he as switchable as we think he is? I like. Oh, him. I think he don't absolutely get me wrong. is. But do you really think he was like, going to be locking up Trey Young or Bogdanovich on the perimeter in this series? I mean, has he not locked up like James Harden on the perimeter before? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about meaningless like the regular season games from from years past. I mean, he has like had moments, he's had flashes, but it's not something that's consistent. Like, I'm pretty sure like they would still try to target him and try to I get mean, him in switches on defense. I'm not saying like uh, he wouldn't like at least hold his own, but. I don't wouldn't like tout it as a big strike. Yeah, Omar. The only the only thing I'd throw out is like that wasn't really how the Knicks were using Mitch anyways this year. Like they were using oh for sure. Prop. Yeah, no, and I, and I just want to say like what what would have made him so good in this series, I think, is that unlike Noel and Taj, like he he, he showed it. You can go back and watch the regular season game. There were moments where he could take away Trey and take away the lob at once. Well, with Taj yes. and Noel, obviously, I mean, we all saw it. Like, they had to choose one or the other, and they didn't even really succeed at doing one. Yeah, no, for sure. And that also brings me to really the issue. I had actually more of an issue. Not that I was mad at any, about anyone this series. I really – the only thing with Tibbs is that, like, Nerland's Noel played himself off the floor. It was obvious he was hurt, and he was kind of useless. He couldn't keep Capello off the offensive glass. Obviously, he's a complete zero on offense. And on one leg, he couldn't really protect the rim the same way those last couple games. And he still was rolling him out there. It seemed like everybody knew he was unplayable but Tibbs. And I'm like, we we had to switch it up. Like, that has to be – I know he didn't try Obi and Randall much in the regular season. I don't even blame him for that. Obi was borderline unplayable for three quarters of the season to try such a thing. Um, But – Really couldn't just try to try to go small and space the floor a little more. Like the Nerlens minutes were like waste to me completely. But those last couple of games, yeah, yeah, I feel you. It was, I mean, it was pretty rough. And that's you know, it's just kind of the Hawks. This whole season were just not a fantastic matchup for Nerlens, and they're they're never going to be. You know, because it, it's just when you have a team that has a legitimate, you know big 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 man you know that is agile enough and everything else to kind of exploit him while also overpowering him you know it's just it's a a match made in hell um you know Nerlens is just never gonna yeah. be able to hold his own there unfortunately La- last name I had I mean I have a couple more but Serge Ibaka has a player option he's been hurt quite a bit this year uh, but he is you know stretch big could protect the rim a bit what do you guys think of him if they could bring him in on the cheap? 
Yeah, it would depend on if it's actually on the cheap or not. I feel like he would still command a pretty decent salary, but if he like ten mil, what's that? Ten mil a year. Like, let's say ten mil or a year for over a couple of years, or if it's like a one year overpay. Yeah, I I would be cool with that for sure. And I mean, I think what's nice about that situation is that then you're not putting pressure on him, like say the Clippers were or are, to be sort of more than he needs to be. Um, you know, I think that they really rely on him to be like pretty much a starter. Uh, whereas the Knicks, hopefully with Mitch healthy would be able to say, Hey, we just need you for like, you know, a solid 20 minutes off the bench, some floor stretching, maybe certain games you'll play more minutes depending on matchups and stuff, but that would hopefully help his health situation too. So I, it's definitely someone that I would be interested in, in bringing on, but I don't know about you, Gavin. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. I'm sure if you're like me and you work on your car, you've probably gone in to an auto parts store at some point and you've probably left feeling a little unfulfilled. You go in there, they ask you a bunch of questions you don't know the answer to. They give you a quote for a part that just seems way too expensive, but it's the only one they claim that they can get you. And of course, they don't have it in store. They have to ship it into their store and you have to come pick it up later in the week. And then you get home and you finally get down to business and you're like, man, this was a lot of hassle and a lot of money. And I was trying to save money by fixing my car myself. Maybe I should have just gone to the mechanic. That's where rockauto.com comes in. All you need is a phone, a tablet, a computer, and you can just sit in your own living room and order auto parts right to your door. Don't have to go back to a store. You don't have to deal with a pushy salesperson that's going to try to charge you an arm and a leg because Rock Auto gives you the best prices no matter what. They always give everybody the same price, whether you're a mechanic, a home mechanic, whatever the case may be, rockauto.com's got you covered. So if you want to check out what's available for your car or truck, head to rockauto.com right now. And if you decide to pick up a part right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar, which if you have not heard yet, is the best tasting protein bar ever. Don't take it from me. We've had people literally on these locker room segments sometimes saying that they th- they tried Built Bars and they totally believe the hype, that they're actually as good as I say they are. And, I, I, you know, I'm not talking out of my butt here. These I've tried these things. I've eaten, like, almost every flavor at this point. Maybe actually every flavor. There's nine of them that they have on hand at any given time. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. You guys already know coconut almond is my go-to. I'm a big almond joy guy. Tastes just like an almond joy. But luckily, I don't have to deal with that guilt like I do after eating an almond joy because built bars are good for you. They have 17 grams of protein. Compared to just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs to give you that protein punch you need after a workout without all the fat and carbs and everything else that those other bars pump you full of. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And now back into our locker room discussion. Yeah, no, I I, I love Ibaka. I mean, I, I thought um, I know I know a lot of people have said this and continue to say this, but I, I was kind of shocked when Toronto didn't use him more against Boston two years ago because I, I I thought he was the whole or not even two. What am I saying? Two years ago in the bubble, um, it feels like two years ago. 
Um, I, I thought he made all the difference in that series. And then this year on the Clippers, I mean, he, he's been hurt for a lot of the year. But when they signed him, that was, in my mind, like I, I thought that was going to put them over the top and make them better than the Lakers. Obviously, it hasn't come into play. And, and you kind of got a question with all the injuries this year. Maybe he's turning to a point where he won't be quite as athletic as a rib protector. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but like his, remember in his like third or fourth year in OKC when everyone was questioning how old he actually was. And they were like, oh, it might already be 35. <laughs> And I, I, I sort of thought the same thing. I'm like, yeah, he's like weirdly like not that athletic anymore. And then he goes to mm-hmm. Orlando, not really good there, goes to Toronto, refines his form, really, really essential part of their title team and their team the year after. Um, so I, I guess my only question would be like, how much does he have in the tank? But if he can, I, I think in terms of his just positioning and his smarts and, and maybe similar to Taj, like just enough athleticism left, um, I think that's a great name and, and a really good example of someone who – at a relatively cheap price, does provide that new skill. I think for that reason, it, um, if he opts out, he'll be in demand by almost every contender will we'll want him. And, and maybe, the, to your point, the, the way the Knicks could swing that is say, hey, we can, we can offer you more money than any of those teams for one year, even, even if it's like 15, 16 million. Um, I think that's the kind of luxury piece you spend on, especially um, with a short contract, because I'm, I'm with you, Omar, I think. I think someone in that mold could make all the difference and, to your point, be palatable to Tibbs. Yeah, he's gotten yeah. sneaky good offensively, more than just, like, spot-up shooter and um, being a, even a rim runner, like, not like as he was when he was younger. And he's just a savvy guy now. Um, you know, I, I think we kind of need to temper our expectations. I don't know what's going to be available in the offseason. And I think the plan B, if you can't land a big star long-term core pieces – is try to get guys that put RJ and Julius in the best framework to succeed and evaluate that and then see how they want to continue to build the team further. Yeah, and that's it I, for me, guys. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Omar. Um, do you want to promote socials or anything before you get down? Um, no. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> All here. right, cool, thanks. man. Hey, thanks so much for coming up, man. And, uh, uh, thanks. For, I mean, thanks for rolling with us pretty much since day one on these locker room things. Not that we're going to be stopping them or anything, but it's time of things right now. <laughs> no doubt. Season. And apologies. So thanks for always li- popping up. Apologies. I didn't listen to the pod earlier yet. I had a busy day, but I'll get to it. Oh, I totally understand. I, I like just got in the door, like photo finish to, to do this. Cause I had to run around all day too. So it's totally understandable, but thanks man. See you Omar. Get Omar down. We got a few other speaker requests here, so we'll get up uh, Rick Guzman here. We got Rick. Uh, Rick, what's going on, man? How you, how you doing, guys? Good. good. How's it going, Rick? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I uh, So I discovered you guys around the beginning of the bubble, and it was really cool for me to have this uh, first season with you guys, kind of listening through your draft analysis and going through the end of the season. It's just I, I just think it was really cool to – to go through it with when you think about the season with the Knicks so much was so much really did go right and yet so much was left on the table that you almost kind of feel good that to a degree you kind of feel the way you feel about the Knicks at the end of the season in terms of the disappointment right and I do have a lot here and I'll try to get it out as quickly as possible and then you'll tell me why I'm right or I'm wrong right But look at everything that happened Mm -hmm. correctly for the Knicks this year. Check this out. This year, RJ and Julius Randle only missed one game combined. Five other Mm -hmm. guys 
played 60 games. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like only Derrick Rose missed any kind of time because of COVID issues. Otherwise, the Knicks didn't have any of that. Am I wrong uh, on that? Burke, Burke, Burks did Burks, and uh, yes. Frank. But other okay. than that, yeah, they were pretty good. I mean, I, I gave them props a number of times this season for the COVID stuff. Like, I you thought the Knicks did a really did. good job. At so, so, how about this? Five out of the eight non-bubble teams from last year actually made the playoffs. Chicago probably would have been six, but their season was derailed by COVID, and this is why I think that's important. At the end of the season, any of these teams are going to probably say that the short turnaround impacted their ability to win the title. Phoenix, L.A., Philly, Denver, Boston, and you're already hearing it from Miami. If those teams are going to present that narrative, then you should also make the argument that the Knicks having a nine-month offseason really worked to their advantage. Furthermore, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I sort of agree with that to a degree, but in, a, in another sense, I, I think that the Knicks, along with everybody else, were all kind of behind the eight ball. Like, I, I wonder if, like, Obi, for example, would have been better off with a longer offseason. Like, I do think that that hurt him to a degree because they just – they had a, a nine-month layoff, but it wasn't like they were able to do anything just because of fair. COVID and all that. That's fair. So. The only minor counter I'll give you is that six of their guys were also on the prior year's team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the continuity was definitely. I mean, that showed. I think between Randall, Randall Bullock, and and uh, RJ especially, I think that that really right. showed for sure. We know Randall had a career year. We are very happy that RJ had the big second year leap, which you always want to see. And Obi and quickly are rookies. You also saw Alec Burke shoot a career high in percentage from three pointer this year, and mm-hmm. he was only a tenth of a rebound off in rebounds. Again, career high. Derrick Rose. 41% from three, also a career high. His next highest percentage was 37. Mitchell Robinson, before the injury, was going, was averaging a career high in rebounds and a career low in fouls, which is important if you know and watched Mitchell and his propensity for fouling. We also, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, Bullock also had a career high or near a career high, 41% from free throws. He had another season where he took more attempts, but that was 38%. And this is my favorite. The Knicks won 41 games, right? Five mm-hmm. games five games off of the seven spot and nine games off of, the, of being in the playoffs all together in a 10-team conference. There was mm-hmm. one player that actually was either tied for third or in the top three outright in scoring for 11 of those Knicks wins. You know who that player was? Mm-hmm. It, was it, it was Alfred Payton. Hmm. Interesting. It was Alfred Payton. And you think about all of that that happened for the Knicks to finish the season the way it did, you can feel like you have a right to be disappointed at the finish. And then you think about now about free agency and how much of the Knicks' free agency problems would have been settled if the Knicks simply draft, as you guys said, as far back as, what, three months before the draft? Any combination of Kira Lewis, Tyrese Halliburton, or Devin Devin Vassell with the eighth pick, or Desmond Bain or R.J. Hampton with that second pick, okay, fine, they got quickly. You have a much better-looking team for the future than what you have. Instead, you got to make these decisions on guys who we all acknowledge. I think one of you said it yesterday, and I thought it was very true. 
you have a roster of a bunch of underqualified players for the roles the Knicks asked them to play in. Yeah. I, I, I know I gave you a lot there, but it's also why, uh, you know, I, I'll definitely kind of shut up and listen. I know I said a lot. But it's also why this draft is very important. And, you know, I haven't heard the name Kyle Lowry yet, but just my two cents and I'll let you guys go. Are we sure to use a Bill Simmons phrase? Are we sure we want Kyle Lowry to play the Chris Paul role? This was a guy who couldn't get in the playoffs this year in a 10-team playoff league in the East. Yeah. I, well, I'll hang up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you, don't, you don't have to go. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll address that. So, like, the, the draft stuff, I don't really feel the need to bellyache over as much anymore. But I do agree with you. I mean, I don't. As, as much as, you know, Obi has proven himself to be an NBA player now and, you know, weirdly has sort of flipped the script on, like, what the issues with this game are, uh, where, you know, suddenly now, you know, he's he's better on defense, it seems like, and, uh, and is, you know, it, the struggles came on offense this year when we really thought it would be, like, the exact opposite. Um, you know, just drafting him. And, of course, the Knicks couldn't have seen that Julius was going to be as good as he was, but... Drafting him and then and then having Julius turn out as good as he was and not really having a great avenue to play them together from the start uh, definitely made that feel like not a great pick. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Vassell had his moments. Uh, Kyra Lewis had his moments. Um, you know, Halliburton. Like really did his thing. I yeah. love Kyra Lewis. I yeah. was so yeah. with you guys on that one. Kyra Lewis, I'm afraid he's going to end up He's going to end up as that classic guy who was drafted by the wrong team to play under the wrong coach. Yeah, it's entirely possible. And, I mean, who knows if Tibbs would have been the right coach either because, you know, we saw how he approached, like, quickly and stuff this year. So, you know, with, with the inconsistent minutes and all that stuff. So, um, but anyway, that's I, that stuff's all in the past. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy with quickly and topping at this point and willing to just kind of let that one – Go as far as the Lowry thing. Um, I would say, I mean, I'm definitely on board as far as getting Kyle Lowry. I I don't think it's totally fair to put like Toronto's situation on him this year. Um, just because I I think that there was so much in play there. I mean, Siakam really struggled for stretches this year and was hurt for a decent amount. Um, you know they they lost like some of their contributors from last year and stuff like that. They still were so, – I mean, they're still to this day sort of reeling from uh, losing uh, Kawhi, obviously. But they, they did manage to put together a pretty decent year last year. Also, just uh, quickly, playing the whole season in Tampa, I think, totally ruined that ruined their team this year. Yeah, they probably weren't too comfortable in that regard either. There's just – there's a lot of factors at play for them. They had some COVID absences and just some regular injuries too, so – I mean, I think the type of player that Lowry still is is still pretty undeniable. I mean, he's a he's a strong guard with a good defensive mindset. He can shoot the three like crazy. He can handle the ball. He can play off the ball. And he does a little bit of everything that I think the Knicks would want out of him. So I, I think he would still be a pretty perfect fit. Obviously, now there's this rumor, too, that Chris Paul is going to you know opt out of his contract to become a free agent. I, I wouldn't really hesitate to give him some money either. Um you know, I, I think that both of them would be good fits. I think you could even look at like a Mike Conley as a potentially good fit if you want to add like a, a 
you know, older veteran point guard who really, you know, had a good year this year. Those three guys all could potentially be available and all could potentially be really good fits for the Knicks and guys that even if you pay them a pretty decent sum of money, I don't think would ever really be untradeable. Um, you know, they might, you might maybe you have to attach a second round pick to them or something to move them, but they're all talented and the talent's not going to go away because they kind of have ageless games that don't really rely too much on athleticism and are more just on being crafty um, at this point. So, yeah, I don't know, Gavin, if you have any, if you have any different thoughts as far as that goes, but um, I, I would totally be on board. Like if Kyle Lowry is down to come to New York, I, I think that he could be the guy that could potentially push this team to an, another level next season. Um, yeah, I, I'm in total agreement. I, I just want to, Rick, I, I just want to go through your points uh, one by one. The, the first the first point, basically, like that the Knicks probably overachieved in some ways this year, I think is an important one. And I think too often people assume um, growth and success in the NBA is a very linear thing. But sometimes there are there are variables like that that make it much more difficult. I mean, like, God forbid, like Randall tears his ACL in game one next year. All of a sudden it's like, oh, well, we, we, we had all these good feelings coming off of last season. And you could the Knicks could go back to being a 20-win team. If they don't get that supplementary superstar, or someone else doesn't make a really big jump. It's just like success is that fickle in the NBA. And, and the fact that they had so much health, um, the, the counter argument is that they were not very good in close games, which probably deflated their record. They only they became a much better team in the second half of the year than they were in the first half of the year when they started playing Derrick Rose a lot more and they started deprioritizing Alfred Payton. Um, the other thing is like guys just got better throughout the season obviously rj made the turn pretty early but he really became um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say a great three-point shooter because he didn't translate to the postseason but in the regular season a a good a a great spot at three-point shooter and a good overall three-point shooter obi got light years better quickly i was almost better early in the season but i think next year you'd expect him to have more consistency and and to really iron out the finishing parts of his game that I I think did improve at least in his ability to get all the way to the rim as the season went on so I I, I hear what you're saying and I think there were some factors that really really went in the Knicks favor this year but I also think I can just as easily like list variables that went against the Knicks or or were improved by the end of the season that would indicate that they were actually better than their record and obviously none of that translated to the postseason so I think that's where like a lot of the hesitancy comes in and, and people have the right to question how much of this was really real um, how much of this will succeed going forward and to that I don't have the answers all I will say is I think the unsustainable parts of this team can be fixed through free agency and through the draft which to your point is why it's so crucial um, hear you on the draft picks we don't need to go over that I, I will say the one thing is clearly in retrospect, the guy to take at eight was Halliburton. And it was the one guy that, that all of us, Alex and I included and at least the vast majority of people, both like draft experts and just Knicks pundits. That, that was the one guy that people really seemed to not want on the Knicks, like right alongside Obi. So ev- everyone was off on that, in, including the Knicks, obviously as a team. And then on Lowry, I mean, I just think the guy's a winner. And, and it, it's one of those weird things where the narrative shifts where when him and DeRozan were getting their ass kicked by LeBron, Year after year after year, people are like, oh, God, they, just, they, don't, they don't really play well in the postseason, do they? They're kind of like regular season warriors. And then that finals run that he had, and even, even more so than the finals run that he had, the, the bubble last year really reaffirmed in my mind who Lowry was. Like, you go back and watch him against that Boston team. Toronto, from a talent perspective, didn't have any business being in that series. You can make an argument that in terms of talent, like Boston pretty easily had the two best players and maybe even like Kemba 
could have been like the third or fourth. And, and Lowry just willed them into those games with, with crazy, crazy shot makings. Um, I'm not sure if he's – I don't think he's quite Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul is like sort of in a class of his own in terms of going to these franchises that, that desperately need a point guard and, and taking them up a level. But Lowry's just a tier below that. He, he's, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he's an all-time great. Maybe he'll fall off a little bit because he's he's old. He's like sneakily been in the NBA. I think next year is going to be like his sixteenth season, if I'm remembering correctly. But he he's he's an all timer in my mind, and I think he would make a substantial difference for the Knicks just because they don't really have that organizer at point guard on the roster right now. He provides that. He provides higher level shooting than anyone um, at that spot, other than quickly. But then unlike quickly, he does he does so much else in terms of getting to the basket and, and just being crafty around the rim. I, I think he'd be an amazing fit. Um, I'm not, again, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they don't end up with any of that Conley, Paul, and Lowry trio, but you get any one of those guys, you're, I, I think, transforming your team for next season. And if not turning it into a title contender, you're turning it into a team that can certainly win a first-round series and, and be a pain in someone's ass in a second-round series. I, I do kind of want to be educated. Beyond pivotal, actually being flexible, what could the Knicks have done that they actually would have been better this year? I think, I, I mean, I mean, just not playing Alfred Payton for a, for a second to start off with, I, I think was the big thing. And I mean, you, you, I, I just don't think you can say like beyond Thibodeau being flexible is like a small thing. Because it, both, both for good and bad, it's a big thing. And, and he was flexible this year in terms of like letting quickly stay in games and letting quickly chuck 30 footers and changing some structural stuff on offense and, and really, like, not running a defense that looked very similar to uh, – I'm, I'm doing a double negative here, but running a, running a defense that was very different than what he did in Chicago. So in some ways, his flexibility really benefited the Knicks. But to what you were just saying, I mean, all the stuff with, like, with small ball in the playoffs, like, there were ways to at least have gotten this series with Atlanta closer. I, I guess, I guess I where mean, I would – where I, I agree with you is I, I don't think they win this series. I, I don't think there was any – like, you could, you could have slotted in, like, Nick Nurse, Prime Greg Popovich – Phil Jackson, whoever you want as the coach of this team for the postseason, I, I don't think they're beating the Hawks in this series. I, I think they're right. I, I, I feel like this roster, the way it was, you know, and again, this is one of the things that was said earlier. I mean, in an earlier show, the, the only way the Knicks probably match up better with the Hawks is if Thibodeau had been willing to sacrifice a couple of wins, as you had mentioned earlier, in the name of development, to kind of peak a little bit later than what the Knicks ended up peaking at uh, earlier in the season when they had that that win streak um but that being said uh, i'm still happy with the season as it is i just wish man that one more season of that 30 win thing where you at least have a shot at one of those guards because that's the problem this year that free agency class is so weak behind the obvious guys if you don't get any of them nobody i don't think anybody's interested in overpaying for you know, pick your pick your guy. Do you almost run it back? And if you're able to add a Lowry, okay, as you mentioned, or a Chris Paul for sure, you know, obviously Kawhi, we don't know what's going to happen. But can you improve the team with the – I don't see real needle movers, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't really see, you know, guys that truly, truly move the needle into what we're looking for, which is East Finals. NBA finals, heaven forbid, and that four, five, six-year run of sustainability. Because I, I agree, I don't want the one-year blip that 2012-2013 uh, ends up being. You know, I want this to obviously build to a three, four, five-year thing, which is, yes, a very hard thing to get. But with free agency 
the way it is this year and the class that it is, you know, I, I personally, I, I don't want them to overpay for somebody who's not going to immediately help this team. And you know what? Take those draft picks, use them, and play them. Because what else do you have to lose? Do you Would you rather have that or DeMar DeRozan for four years at whatever, however many million? Or Victor Oladipo, you know? And do you want to trade? Uh, give up a bunch of assets for, you know, Brogdon, who I love. But if you're going to tell me, okay, I'm going to have to give up, you know, the next three years of picks, but quickly, quickly, I I, I want to see Damian Lillard back. You know, something, yeah. something of that nature is what I'll overpay for. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, I don't, I don't think there's any universe where it costs that much to get Brogdon. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I just. I don't think the the price tag will be that high for him. Maybe you maybe you have to part with, you know, one of the first this year and like the Mavericks one in twenty twenty three or something like that. That's top ten protected anyway. If but, that's all it takes, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, if I I would imagine it would be something like that because if if any deals him, that means that the and you know we already heard like Turner rumors kicking up again. I think I even saw Sabonis's name thrown out there. Uh, around the trade deadline and then like you know uh, going towards the postseason now after you know if they're gonna blow it up they're not gonna they're not gonna be looking for tons of players in return or or like a zillion picks you know what I mean they're gonna be trying to get some picks here some picks there and just kind of build out the war chest that way so I don't think they would come knocking and be like oh we need you know tons and tons and tons of stuff just because I I don't know if Brogdon really carries that much sway as far as uh, assets are concerned but um Rick, we got it. We got a number yep, of people absolutely. waiting to come up. So, do you have any parting shots before we uh, send you down here? Just a really weird season in that at the beginning you're happy that they're winning, but you're also like, man, I'm we're a win further away from Cade. And then yeah. once it got to a point where, all right, accept it and enjoy the ride, you 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 got what you got. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Rick. Thanks so much, man. All right, that's it for our first part of our locker room episodes here. This is actually going to be a three-parter, so we're going to give you guys a part a day for the whole weekend uh, based off our locker room discussion that we had on Thursday. In the second part, we got a lot of great topics. We're going to talk about uh, D'Angelo Russell and Damian Lillard as trade targets, and we have pretty different opinions about the two of those guys. Uh, We talk about whether the Knicks need another Woodson-esque assistant and what the Knicks need to do to stay competitive next year in an Eastern conference that had some underachievers this year that are probably going to try to turn things around. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And now that you're done with this podcast and you're going to be waiting until tomorrow for the second part, you can always go check out the locked on today podcast, get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the locked on today podcast host, Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Till next time, guys, we'll be back, like I said, tomorrow and Sunday. We got two weekend editions for you this weekend. But until next time, peace out. We'll talk to you all tomorrow.